0: Welcome to the RevOps podcast. I am your host, Jordan Henderson. You guys noticed that I've started saying that I am your host exclusively, not co-host, just so you guys know. Yeah, whoa, whoa, um, just whoa. Take, taking it over. When did you get the promotion? Uh, so <laughs>
1: self,
0: <laughs> self-given. Uh, but I, I am, of course, your host, Jordan Henderson, a director of Rev Operations, Ring DNA, and I am joined today by Jonathan Stevens and
1: Brandon Redlinger. Go ahead and say hi, guys. I am your, your, I guess, co-host now, uh, or (laughs) I don't even know what's beneath that. But hey, guys, it's Brandon. I'm I'm your participant, Brandon (laughs) Revinger.
2: And I'm the assistant to the co-host. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I think you're supposed to say assistant co-host and then I correct you that's how that works Uh, cool and of course we have our ghost participant Alec who will almost certainly participate via chat Um, and we will not have him say hi because we're not inviting him in right now but (laughs) (laughs) thank you everybody Um, this week so I want to continue actually talking about we sort of Last week's episode dove into what I would call RevOps 201, talking about SDR metrics and how they're important, how you solve things, how you use them from a marketing standpoint to you know, better improve your entire revenue operation. I want to continue on that vein because I think it's a really interesting structure. I think it was really helpful and I think it's it's going to be really helpful for our audience. So this week, I want to do uh, some CM, CSM metrics that I think are super important that are going to align. Before I jump into that, though, we, we've done an entire episode on on CS stuff. I, I actually totally forget, and maybe it's because I pay limited attention, but Brandon and Jonathan, have, have either of you ever done CS work, like customer success work?
1: No, not really. I mean, working with them, but never been to CSM or anything like that before. No.
2: Same. Got it. Yeah, mainly just coordinated very heavily with, but not, not directly involved
0: got it. I mean, that, that makes sense. I don't think I would trust either of you managing customer accounts, so that, that's
1: totally <laughs> fair. Um, well, well,
0: well. <laughs> I actually, for what it's worth, I actually, my first job in tech was as a CSM and ultimately became a manager of a CSM team. It was my first management job in tech. And so, so I've sort of been in the weeds and, and managed CS teams over the years and, and done a lot of CS work. I think at the time I was carrying about 95 customers at one point, which was an absurd wow. amount of customers Jesus. to carry. Yeah. Which which was, was rough. Um, but uh, But it's <laughs> It's 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 tough job and it's it's uh, all of our CSMs listening. It's also super super important for a lot of reason, right? I mean, we've talked about that the previous episode, but it's such an indicator of success in your business and your long term growth and your upsell potential, and, and there's just so much there that's that's super super important. So, continuing on the vein of RevOps 201, though, I want to dive into a couple of metrics that I think are super important uh, for for the CSM CSM team to track as well as across your entire revenue operation. And the first thing I want to talk about is adoption. Um, I think adoption has probably been beaten to death. And there's, I think, what I would call two different types of adoption. There's product adoption and feature adoption. Does any of you want to give a definition of either of those two things? (laughs) I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this like Socratically, by the way. I'm just going to cold call and be like, hey, Jonathan, tell me about product adoption.
3: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
2: So product adoption is how much adoption. Okay, I'm going to start with the simple, but I'll elaborate. How much adoption in your product a customer has? So that means how many how many actually employees at your customer's account are actually adopting the product and using it
0: close. You're, this was the best like, elaborate definition you've given because you <laughs> say like, how, how much is your customer adopting the product? I was waiting for uh, that. Yeah, I, it, I should have just stopped it, there. It, it, but but it's, it's important. You're really close. The, the only distinction I would make is actually not how many employees at the company are adopting your product. It's how many of the people who have access to your product are adopting your product. Mm. So if a company mm. has 700 employees, but they've only about 100 licenses because only the sales team is using it, I don't measure against the 700 employees. I measure against mm-hmm. the 100 licenses, right? Um, and so, so it's more of a metric of like, if I sell you 100 licenses of RingDNA and 85 people are logging in and using RingDNA, then their adoption rate is 85%
2: from okay. a product so standpoint. So we're taking a step out. We're looking at it as our company, as opposed to as a particular account within the company.
0: We're looking at it as, as yeah, that customer, like percentage of licenses used essentially. would would be the way I would look at it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, And then you can measure that across your entire base, right? Like we've sold 43,000 total licenses and we have 41,000 people logging in. So our adoption is whatever that math is, I'm not going to do it. Um, But, but, (laughs) uh, but, but like you, you get the picture of product adoption. So very, very broad metric for adoption can be helpful in a lot of ways. We'll talk about that in a minute before we do feature adoption, different thing. Brandon, do you want to try it? (laughs)
1: I mean, I would say the same thing. How many people within... (laughs) Of the seats that you have, how many people are actually using a specific feature?
0: Totally. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly right. So how many of your existing users are using a specific feature? Which which is to say, like, if you have 100 users and 25 of them are using a specific feature, that feature's adoption rate is 25%, which is different because you might have 100% product adoption rate. Just the 25% of them are using one specific feature, which is also... It's, it's a sort of drilled down version of, of adoption, but can be super helpful in a lot of ways. So I want to start there. As a marketer, and, and Brandon, this is sort of specific to you. You're a product marketer. And so product and feature adoption, I think, would be very important. Why are these important to you? What would you use something like feature adoption for? What would you use something like product adoption for?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, I I look at I look at feature adoption a lot, actually, um, and like specifically, really, when we're we're either in in beta or we've done a full GA with a, a specific feature. But it's like, are, are are people actually using this? Are they getting the value out that we thought they would get out of it? Right. Um, but I also think things like. Beyond just like adoption itself, I want to see people actually using the feature. So, if you're there's a bunch of software tools out there, but you can actually see in real time as people are clicking around. That gives you so much insight into how you actually build a product. And the better you build a product, the, the more it's going to get adopted, too, right? Like, I, I, I distinctly remember early days, you know, at, at a previous company, like, we're, we're looking at there, there's a lot of usage like, right, of this, of this specific feature, but they're not actually completing the specific action. They're on this page, and they're on this page a lot, and they're on this page for a good amount of time, but they're clicking around, and you're like, the button's right there. It's so freaking obvious that it's right there. <laughs> just but they're clicking. just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like right? Like, it actually gives you so much insight into how you actually should be building a product. It, it, it's kind of like that. Like, I, I, I had a, a product leader, too, um, that I worked with in the past, and he was like, "It should be here because of this," and he would explain why he put it there. And I'm just like, "Dude, but people don't want to click there." It's like it's like the bad joke. If you have to explain the joke, it's a bad joke. If you ex- if you have to explain the UI, it's probably not a good UI. Yeah. So, right. 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 Yeah.
2: And use a totally. heat mapping tool can definitely be a valuable thing to put in, so then you can see where people are clicking and where they're scrolling and where they're interacting, and that can help you inform. Your UI, yeah, exactly.
0: You guys are sort of diving into like answering the question of of um, all right, so like nobody's adopting this feature. Like, what do I do? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah. like, and like heat mapping is is certainly a part of that. Like, if nobody's adopting a feature, like yeah, we want to know why, and heat mapping can be a way to identify identify what that is. But I want you to zoom back for a minute, actually. Mm-hmm. So so like put on your marketing hat, right? If, if I come to you and I say, you know what, we have nine thousand. Users and only you know only twenty five percent of them are using this feature that we think actually solves a business problem for all nine thousand users like what what can we do from a marketing standpoint to increase feature adoption
1: yeah good question so i i I think i mean kind of in your question there is like yeah let's let it let's make sure that like we test this hypothesis that like this is something that they really need to be using. So I, I never want to measure a feature just to measure the feature's usage, right? It is mainly because adoption of this feature leads to better experience, leads to more product adoption, leads to retention, upsells, etc.
0: Retention, longevity, upsells, more net yeah.
1: retention, right? Like, yep. yeah, like I, I really want to be paying attention to those things that really lead to success and. Uh, okay if, if we've decided that that is the case um, then yeah let's let's really look at this weekly let's report on it let's let's set those baselines and then make sure that uh, yeah that this this gets the attention that it needs um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> Did you <just> <laughs> I was like, I, I have an idea that I gotta get out of the way first, and then I'll maybe answer his
0: question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> This is why I show up with a high sodium content. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't
1: distracted by um, Slack this time. It wasn't Slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, no, I mean, Slack.
0: It's so, 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 and maybe I'll, I'll step back for a minute. And I'll get to my, get to my question, but but let me ask this because um, because I think people typically think of feature adoption as as just a CS metric, right? Like it's it's like our is our CS team effectively like. Getting people to use the product the way we think they should be using it, and then that's that's true. It's certainly a great metric for that. Have you ever, as a product marketer, had a feature adoption based goal? And what I'm thinking of is the scenario where, as a product marketer, we release a new feature, and and your job as a product marketer is to communicate that to the customer base, right? In a lot exactly. of Exactly. Yep. Like, every do you time. ever have a goal tied to that?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. It, like every time we're either in beta, I actually do a launch. Absolutely. I mean, feature adoption is like the probably the number one thing that and another more, more common one, too, is uh, just how much, you know, either free trials or actually revenue that you would get from that specific feature. But I, absolutely, every time I want an actual feature adoption goal every single time.
2: The last thing you want to do is have an amazing feature in your product that no one knows about because it hasn't been communicated. There's no documentation on it. There's no training on it. So that that's a big one.
0: See, the, the, that's a really good point. And there's also a sort of caveat to that, right? The, the actual last thing you want to do is think that you have an amazing feature in your product that nobody <laughs> actually wants. <laughs> like right. Because that happens a lot too. People yeah. are like check out this awesome thing, and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Like that doesn't do anything for me, right? Which which goes back to like. Using this to inform your product team on what to, to invest exactly. time and resources
1: mm-hmm. in, right? Well, yeah. ho- hopefully you're you're getting that out of the way in in your customer development in your interviews, um, and then you know if you still decide it's worth pursuing, maybe you discover that in beta. Like I, I don't ever want to get to GA, get to general availability where I'm launching into the entire customer base um, if I don't know that it is actually something that. The customers want and they would find value in. So hopefully you're 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 doing that work early and you're not getting to GA and like oh shoot maybe we shouldn't have built this in the first place.
0: Totally. So let me let me ask this then, and then I'll, I'll dive into what what is always the last question as it relates to a specific metric. But <laughs> do you ever use feature or product adoption to inform marketing campaigns or upsell approaches from a marketing standpoint?
1: Well, I think if it is if it is something that we deem a valuable feature and we do have low adoption of that. Absolutely, 100 percent So we, we can we can do a lot of things that it, it is really orchestrated, everyone doing it at once. So it's not just marketing, but yeah like mark marketing might be doing some you know email campaigns for education. We might put together some videos that we actually put you know guided walkthrough in the product using something like Pendo. Um, we could Arm Shout,
0: CSMs shout out with Bendo. Thank you, for those. <laughs> yeah.
1: Pendo, That's right. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast. We'll collect <laughs> that that fee later. Um, <laughs> and, and Arm Arm CSMs, Arm uh, AES with the actual enablement content, so that it's it, it, it's an entire integrated campaign, not just hey marketing, send some emails.
0: Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, Jonathan, you you unmuted. You have something there.
1: Um, I think you nailed it on the head.
0: Um, uh, would, he, he just wanted to reinforce that. He thought that was an awesome <laughs> answer. Thank you for that. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I mean, valuable. tools like, tools like Pendo or WalkMe, making sure that you've got the right tools in place inside your product to really enable the person using your product to know where things are, can train on them easily, figure out how to work with things. That That's just so critical.
0: Yeah, totally. Th- there's another thing here too, because we're sort of looking at this as like, Feature adoption across the entire customer base and there's a there 's a thing that, as a marketer, I think is super valuable, which is say i've released a feature and i 'm measuring feature adoption i've set a goal and and one company is like. Yeah, hell yeah, we got a hundred percent feature adoption. Like one of my customers is just roaring towards this thing, right? (laughs) And it is solving a business problem for you as a business. Like that—that's awesome. That's what you want, right? Everybody else is lagging behind, and this happens all the time. Like some customer will be like, "Oh, hell yeah, we're doing that," and other customers will be like, "Mm, "We don't have the bandwidth." Common answer. I say it to Jonathan all the time when he asks me for things. I often have the bandwidth. I just say I don't. Um, But but in those scenarios, this is a great chance for your marketing team to come in to that person with the customer success manager and say, hey, can we do a case study on why this new Mm -hmm. feature is just kicking ass for you? Because we want to use that. To then inform the rest of the market about how awesome this thing is, right? New customer acquisition also. I can then use that feature and and use it to sell new customers with the same use case. Like that feature adoption to that specific customer is, is going to help inform my marketing strategy for new customers, my feature adoption strategy for existing customers, my sales team's outbound approach for new customers, all of that. And my demos, by the way. Well, now I'm new, now I'm demoing this new feature. Yeah. I get that that one customer has now changed my entire revenue operation because of that metric.
2: Yep, social proof is everything in 2020. In A thousand percent. It's, hey, it's, <laughs> social proof, you,
0: you can just remove social proof is everything it's just, it yeah. just is like it, it has been everything for for 40 years like that, mm-hmm. that's not changing in any way shape or form we're just more connected but but mm. not to overstate the value of this it's extremely valuable and important right like it, it's a very important metric so obviously i'm passionate about feature adoption i didn't really realize <laughs> that until this conversation <laughs> but I, like, I apologize to everybody um so but I want to sort of dive into what is the last question and and we can answer this I think from revenue operations marketing operations marketing in general sales. So I have terrible feature adoption of a of a feature that I think is valuable. What do I do? Like what do I do with that information? And the first question I'll I'll, I'll sort of answer the first thing you should ask which is is this feature actually valuable right. for customers? That's that's like you think it is. You might be right. You might be wrong. People build products all the time or build features all the time that people don't want or don't care about or don't see the value in. And, and so the first thing you have to ask is, is, is it valuable? And, and go to some customers and walk them through it. People that you have a trusting relationship with that have a problem that you think you can solve with that feature and walk them through it and see what they think. If they're all like, Hey, no, like this doesn't cut it for me. Like, great. You need to go back to the drawing board before you worry about getting people to adopt that feature. Like that that's not a problem that you're ready to solve yet, but let's assume the answer to that question is, yes, this feature is awesome, and it solves a problem. I still have low feature adoption. What can
1: i do all right so so this this is what I've done in the past. I think it works actually pretty well. Um, put together a little tiger team, um look at the data, look at who's using it. Maybe you segment by by users, by titles by um, your know, company size or whatever that might be and, and and really as as a tiger team like try to figure out what what's the underlying reason right like i think you and your team will have good intuition and just get in a room start talking you'll build off of each other's ideas and then just like throw a bunch of ideas out there no judgment on the ideas themselves but just like try to get every single idea that you can out there to try to help increase this adoption. And then from there, you can actually start to prioritize these. Um, And I I like to use uh, um, the the ICE um, acronym. So it's uh, Impact, uh, Confidence, and Ease. What impact do they think this idea is going to have? Uh, what's my confidence in this actually working, and how easily can I actually implement this? In Ease could be speed, it could be um, you know, resources, it could even be budget um, if you're doing a campaign around it. Um, and then you stack rank those, and then you take, you take the top you know, one or two, no more than three, and start to implement those, do that in a, a two-week sprint, um, and then start to measure. Um, and then from there you can actually start to optimize that you can start to tweak that, you'll get insights um, and then hopefully you'll see that adoption going up but you know, if I, I really think you start with that tiger team, um, get some top ideas going and then you can roll it out and it could be just product uh, you know, your, your first ideas are just product things that you can actually tweak in the product it could be product but also marketing supports in this other way Right, so could, could
0: could be training resources that your CS team needs to build it out. It could be uh, like just simple video walkthroughs that your marketing team can exactly. put together about how to implement the tool. It, it can be just mass communications that are that are more aggressive and more assertive and more exemplifying the the problem that you're solving. It could be better better work on the AE side identifying the business problems that your current customers are facing, so that you can identify which ones are ripe to have this feature adoption. There's Lots of lots of things that that could go into this, but I think the tiger team idea is is a, a great way to get started on this. I think you have to, and that tiger team should be, by the way, cross functional. Hundred
1: percent. Yep, hundred percent. And and you you really have to have like a team first mentality on it because product will come, sales will come, marketing will come, all with their own agendas, and they're like, here is. Like, here's how I want this to specifically advance my own agenda or my yeah. own KPIs. Yeah. Like, I, you, I, I
0: want this because I want more upsells.
1: Like, right, that's exactly. not exactly.
0: No, like, that's the goal a, is feature adoption. And yes, that's a piece of it. But Yep.
1: It's, it's got to be a team-first mentality.
0: Totally. Totally. Which which is why, for what it's worth, as as a RevOps person, and this is the RevOps podcast, it's super important for RevOps to be in Tiger teams like this because your job, in a lot of ways, is to make sure that that Tiger team is aligned towards a team-first, revenue-operations-first mentality. Getting the feature adopted, getting it rolled out, improving the feature, improving upsells, improving longevity, improving our marketing materials, improving our marketing reports are all pieces of that, Mm -hmm. but they are the secondary goal to the top goal, which is feature adoption. That's what you're doing this for.
1: And and, and the other the other reason I mean RevOps is so huge too is like you're the ones who actually know how to track this and how frequently you should be tracking it and where you should actually put, put in these metrics and then how often do you report back on these metrics and to whom, right? Like I, that that is such a key piece of all of this. Otherwise it's we have a bunch of ideas and I've been, I've been guilty of this and in, in 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 the past too. It's like we're all really excited about this. We all launched this. And then we actually never are held accountable. And yeah. we never check nobody ever, again. Nobody
0: ever checks, like, did this get better? Did right, they? exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like, it was the
1: hottest <laughs> thing the CEO wanted that day. Yeah. So we're putting out this fire. And then he moves on to the next thing, and everyone else forgets about it too.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then, by the way, what that does is your product team gets real pissed because they've spent so much time and energy building this thing. And then you were like, yeah, we're going to get it rolled out. And then you like sort of do and move on. And the product team is like, yo, bro, what?
1: We we, we worked so hard on this. And it goes back to your point. Like, let's make sure this is the thing that we need to be working on right now. Like prioritization, you know?
2: Yeah, I think more important than anything is I see this all the time. Is not putting yourself in your customer's shoes and not actually seeing how your customer is using the product. So if it's got a bad user experience, it's clunky, you can't really easily use it, you can't easily administrate it, nobody's gonna use it. So things like that have got to be really looked at.
0: Totally. And that's and that's the sort of information that you bring to the tiger team, right? Like the tiger team should be gathering that sort of feedback as a part of their process.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's usually the biggest reason I'll turn off from a product. Other than having redundancies, I might have another product that does the same thing that works better. So you also I've, have to
0: understand. the I've tech seen stack. you turn off on a lot of products. There's a lot of reasons <laughs> you've given me as to why you the like UI turns you down. Like there, oh, there's yeah. just a list of reasons why you might dislike a product. That's a lot longer than most people's list. <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> True.
2: <laughs> but
0: it's important. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to get some honest feedback on a product, I, I guarantee if you reach out to Jonathan, he will give you honest, honest <laughs> feedback <laughs> on <Two> what <laughs> <more>. product <laughs> <laughs> you, Yeah, you you might. You'll get a lot of usable information. You might disagree with some of it. Most of it will be accurate, though. So just, 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 <laughs> just a note for any of our, <laughs> our listeners that are like, I want somebody to look at this. Jonathan will do it. And he will tell you why it's bad. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Anybody have any other last thoughts on... Feature adoption or product adoption—I guess adoption in general. I don't think so. Cool. Yeah. All right, then. Then I think I think we've we've kicked that can around long enough. <laughs> I want to I I go into the next one, which is also a fairly dense one, but I think will be a little bit faster than feature adoption because I think it's 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 very valuable. It's a very valuable thing, which is which is customer health, customer health mm-hmm. scoring in general. Um, which it's well, I'll. Customer health can be measured in a lot of ways. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this off of you guys' plate and give a bit of an overview on this one yes. to to avoid what would almost certainly be a painful experience for our listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> I told you high sodium content today. Um, but customer health is a really broad way of, of saying how you're measuring the, the health of your customers. And, and a lot of there's a lot of different ways to do this. Some companies have very complex formulas that measure like usage, engagement, sentiment, like all, all these different factors and then aggregate that into some customer score that's like green, red, yellow, or like a score of 0 to 100, right? And there's tools that do this. There's Gainsight, and there's Involve.ai, and there's a bunch of tools that really do awesome stuff with your customer health score. There's also companies that just do it as simple as like, we use NPS as customer health. And, and Net, Net Promoter Score, for, for anybody listening who, who's not familiar, is essentially when you log into an app and it says you know 0 to 10 or 1 to 10, zero to 10, how likely are you to refer to us Refer us to another customer? Um, and, and the way that works is uh, nine, nine or 10 is what's called a promoter, seven or eight is called passive, and zero to six is a detractor. And what you do is you take the percentage of your promoters and subtract the percentage of your detractors. So if you have 40% of people are promoters and 30% of people are detractors, you kick out passive. They don't count at all. You'd subtract the detractor 30% from 40%, which gives you an MPS score of 10. Right. And that, and that's like a broader health metric for your entire customer base, but each customer obviously has an MPS score. And some people use this as essentially like their sole directional truth as customer health. And so there's a lot of ways to measure this, um, which why, so, so zooming back customer health in general can be measured in a lot of ways. Usually, it's some indication of of how healthy your customer is to to be the Jonathan in this definition. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: um,
0: <laughs> why why would any version of a customer health score, NPS, customer health in general, be important to the marketing team?
2: Hmm. I mean, it it impacts our ability to sell. To provide that social proof to prospects to provide that release comms if customers aren't engaged with our product they're not going to care when we send them a release communication or put out a new training video so i think that's that's a big one
0: super 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 true like if if they're giving us a one on the nps they're deleting your feature announcements for (laughs) sure like like that that's a thousand percent happening i mean they're also if It's a great way, in in my mind at least, to identify people that you should be asking for case studies and referrals and those sorts of things, which is just a great campaign to work on your marketing team with. Um, What
1: else? Well, I I mean, I just go back to like, well, I I really care about you know overall revenue and like net dollar retention, right? And like, it's just one of the leading indicators that will help me determine uh, how how well this like is this customer going to really help us grow? Should we be putting more energy and resources behind it? You know, like it, it, I take a very broad view of it, a very high level view, but I think it is it is very important. There's so many things that go into customer health. I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> We're going to
0: keep it pretty high level today because I think there's like a whole customer health episode and we'll get somebody from like <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, leadership in and talk about it. Um, but... but, but uh, it,
2: to interject real quick, I think the most important, and this is sales, this a CSM, this is marketing, is just establishing a good relationship. If you don't have a good relationship with that account, then nothing's going to move forward and you're never really going to get those positive feedback NPS scores. You're not going to get product adoption. You're not going to get anything. So everything starts and stops with that relationship, not only from prospecting, but also from your customer.
0: A thousand percent. And by the way, NPS should be heavily used in determining your ICP, if you can. And and what I mean by that is if I go look at my customer base and I have 43 industries in my customer base and everybody that's in industrial manufacturing is like 10 out of 10, I want to refer you to everybody... Oh my God, let's market it industrial manufacturing, right? Like let's, let's go get every person in industrial manufacturing because that is our sweet spot from a, from an actual customer happiness standpoint, which means we are solving problems for these people. We are helping them be more successful. We have referrals and case studies in the works because those people will absolutely provide them. Let's switch our, let's, let's loop that into marketing campaigns. Like that, let's use that to inform our just overall new business marketing strategy. Why wouldn't you?
1: Dude, I thought you didn't like NPS.
0: I, I think it's a lagging indicator for, for things like feature adoption and things like that. But I think it can be a good thing for identifying like what's being successful, what industries you're having success in. Typically, often the health of a okay, customer, like, likelihood that they're mm-hmm. going to churn. I think what people typically use it for is, is incorrectly is they'll say like, well, we improved our product last month. Our NPS score should go up. Like it takes time. It, it, it often totally takes time. like yeah. three to six months for somebody to be like, okay, over. great. Yeah. Yeah. Well maybe never, right? Like that's why like onboarding is such an important thing is yeah, yeah. if you screw the pooch in onboarding, it doesn't matter how much better your product gets. The NPS score from that person is never going to be a 10. Like it's just not. And so th- that that's the reason what I why I dislike I it. See. Yeah, there there are reasons to like it. There are, there are valuable there are plenty metrics reasons around to, it. Yeah, yeah, just why why are you coming at me like this, man? Like, <laughs> just, I, I just remember in, in, yeah. in,
1: in our CS or uh, yeah CS episode, whatever early episode that was. You're like, I think it's a terrible metric. I, I do. That's all I, 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 I remember. Think, well, yeah,
0: and, and and there's reasons why. I, like the so only I thing I remember
1: a, about that entire episode. No, <laughs> I
0: don't remember anything about that episode. But, um, were you guys in that episode? I don't know. You never really <laughs> talk, it? anyways. Um, but uh, but but there are good things for it. I think people misuse It's sort of my thing. It's it's sort of to me like um, MQL goals. Like MQL totally. is a great a great thing for like identifying gaps and figuring out things you can fix. But like you shouldn't base your business around MQLs. It's, it's an informative thing. It's it's not like NPS is an informative thing. It helps you identify places you can improve and do that sort of thing. And it's great to have goals around, but. It can often be impacted by things that are outside your control. It's a lagging indicator, and it has to be taken with a grain of salt.
1: Well, I I think that can be said for any metric. Totally. Any metric itself isn't inherently good or bad. It's how you use it. It's what you make of it, right? Totally. A a thousand percent.
2: Spoken like a true marketer.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, I don't even have to attack you guys. You're doing it yourselves. Hey, I'm a marketer too.
1: I'm aware. It's
0: self-deprecation going on today. This is, is, uh, wow. I'm going to let you guys just burn your own bitch down. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Does anybody have any other last thoughts? On, by the way, customer health in general, I know we sort of focus this on MPS. Customer health in general, I think, can be used similarly to how you would use MPS, right? Like, if people are really healthy in a specific industry, target the crap out of that industry. If people are are uh, giving you like great customer health scores and, and they're doing it well... Then, then, like, let's ask them for case studies. Let's ask them for referrals. Let's get social proof from those people. Let's base our marketing material around what what business problem we're solving for them, and and let's base our sales approach around that same thing. Like, these are great ways to inform, and and let's focus feature adoption on the features that they're using. Like, that's going to increase longevity in everybody else, right? Like, these things can inform your business in really powerful ways for sales marketing as, as well. Um, just don't, you know, like, oh my God, customer health is bad. And, and by the way, don't say like 60% of my customer health score is sentiment. Like (laughs) let's make it like not like actual data is important in these things, by the way. Like that's just a a full stop caveat. Um, Any other thoughts on on customer health MPS in general?
1: Yeah, no, I I think we get a, did a good job of high-level coverage. I, it, it, it will help you inform where to focus your time and where you shouldn't be focusing your time. I mean, it's just, right. it's just another indicator out there. It shouldn't be the indicator. It's just another data point to help you decide.
2: And I think it's also percent. important to know that even if the health of your customer is not great, if you have that great relationship, you can mitigate some of that concern and some of that potential churn by just having that good relationship. I've had so many tools that I've used where I just loved my CSM so much that I was willing to go out and give them good reviews just because I liked them so much, even though I wasn't in love with the product. So always keep that in mind too.
0: Totally. I, I know Andy Paul talks about this a bunch, right? Sales is relationship-based. talks about that all the time in the Sales enablement podcast. He's a thousand percent right. Customer success is also relationship-based. Like it, it is very much the same thing. You need to have good relationships there. It doesn't matter if you're the best product in the world. If your CSM is terrible, your MPS score is definitely not 9 or 10. That's for sure, yeah. right? Like so um, su- super valuable point, Jonathan, um, which is not a phrase I'm used to saying. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> sorry. That one felt mean coming out. he <laughs> yeah, is salty today. <laughs> <It's> salty. <Yeah. laughs> Oh man. Oh wow. That just came out way too easily. Um, All right. And that noise, of course, means that it is time for this week on LinkedIn. And Alec will insert the the noise there, I think. Um, But I actually I actually this week want to do something again slightly different with this week on LinkedIn. And I want to invite Alec to, to join us. Uh, For for this question because I think he's going to have really strong opinions on it that I would like to hear. Alec, can you uh, jump in? I'm here. I'm here. All right. All right. Cool. So this week's question comes from Nate, and Nate has a bit of a long question, but I think it's a valuable one. When I was in partnerships, I did a lot of networking and even social selling. He puts in quotations, but I had to temper my posts and messaging to be more partner oriented. So the question I have is: Should my goal in social selling? Just be getting new partners organically. And as a head of RevOps, how do you view social selling? Is it something you would say you are doing? Or are you just pushing reps to do it? And should sales reps be the ones doing it? So it's sort of a two-part question. Um, and, and I'm going to defer to you guys first, Alec. If, I know you have an answer to that first part. So would Say the first part again. The question I have is, should my goal be at, in social selling just getting new partners?
3: No, it should be maintaining and growing the relationships with existing partners as well. I would imagine. I, I, I don't. Know. I think you need to feed the thought leadership uh, kind of machine consistently, and not just I don't know. Wait uh, for partners to come to you. Maybe I don't understand the question. Thanks for giving me the
0: yeah. big set. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I mean, I, I think I mean this, this is something we've talked about a lot, right? Like y- your goal in social selling isn't selling. Like it, it is establishing credibility, establishing yourself as a leader, as a trusted partner for your audience, and the selling comes after the fact, right? Exactly, like it's it's, it's networking and a lot. Of, so, so like your goal. My goal in social selling, and by the way, to answer the second question, a 1,000% I'm social selling. This podcast yep. is social selling. Go to my LinkedIn, I'm social selling. Go to Brandon's LinkedIn, he's social selling. Jonathan never does any of it, mm-hmm. and that's really problematic. But, <laughs> uh, but, but He's getting but, there. We'll get him there. We'll yeah, get him there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's trying. Um, but, but, but yes, exactly, I'm social selling. And I'm not actually selling, but I'm establishing credibility for our business and our company by putting myself out there, creating thought leadership, creating this podcast, doing these sorts of things. It establishes credibility for our business. Business, which is helping a social sell, it's not just AEs on AEs to social. sell. It's on your entire company.
3: And the the problem with is, it's like impossible to track to a certain degree. Like a lot of stuff is happening. People are seeing Jordan's posts or Brandon's posts, and like it's building an affinity with them, and then the brand, and they'll maybe be sought out afterwards. But like just because you listen to this podcast and liked some of Jordan's posts and whatever, like we don't we can't track all that all the time. You know what I mean? Like you if have only, to.
2: If only we could cookie humans.
3: If only we (laughs) (laughs) could,
0: but but and 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 there's and it's not social selling isn't even just about selling, right? Like we've actually seen something from from this podcast and and from our LinkedIn activity from from actually this group of human beings, which is a lot of our recent uh, recruiting efforts. People have come in saying, "I listened Mm -hmm. to the podcast and loved it." And I'm super excited to work with these guys, which thank you, everybody who said that. That's super flattering. Um, I'm super excited to work with you too. And, and, that, and that's huge, right? That helps our business in, in meaningful ways that, that are well beyond just selling. Like that's, it's, it's the thought leadership, the credibility, the culture, the establishing your brand as a, as a professional, that, that's super important. The way you show up to work every day is establishing your brand to your colleagues. That same approach should be on your, on your social selling.
3: And people hate that term, brand, but like you can phrase it as reputation. You know, influence. I, I
0: love it. There's um if anybody listens to uh Scott Galloway he has a, he has a podcast the Prof G podcast he talks a lot about how in your you know early career it's super important to establish your brand with your colleagues and that's a lot of times he means that I think in in how you engage every day at work and how you work with other people but it's also he means it in how you pick a social network and, and establish your brand on that network as a professional and I whatever, like nomenclature be damned. Like I don't care if we use brand or what everybody says, It doesn't, doesn't diminish the importance.
1: Agreed. Yeah. And go, going back to, to, I mean, part of the, the earlier part of that question, like, yeah, well why temper it to only people right? like now, now I'm, you know, Selling and marketing to sales professionals, um, but my a lot of my network is actually just marketing because I've sold to marketers in the past. A lot of the content that I put out is still just good content for marketers, um, because like you, you never know when a marketer sees my post and you know a sales rep asks him about Ring DNA. It's like, well, I I don't know that much, but, you know, maybe talk to Brandon or like I I like Brandon's content. I've seen other great content out there. Um, I have some trust with that company already. Like, I I don't think you have to necessarily temper your content towards any, you know, new specific uh, audience that you're now selling into. Like, I I think just be yourself, put out great content, um, build those relationships. And I think, you know, that the sales will We'll follow. The
0: rest, the rest will, come yeah. The rest will and when, come. yeah, when I sort of when I sort of started doing it, um, well, when Alec made me start doing it, um, <laughs> he he, we, he actually grabbed an hour of my time on like a Friday afternoon, and, and we sat down, and he asked me like, "What what do you what what do you feel comfortable talking about? Like, what are you confident in as an expert? Like, what do you want? What sort of content do you want to share to the world that you think people will like or that will provide value to people? And that that to me was way more important than. Like what? What's going to help us sell more software? Because that was right. never the question. The question was like, what, what value can you provide to the world that you want to communicate out? And and that's I think the, the question everybody should ask.
3: And I I do the th- the though, is I think that is the best way to sell more software. You know, like totally. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a thousand percent agree. Yeah, like that. It, it is. It, it, it's the best way because it, it's it's um it's Organic, it's truthful, it's it's relatable for your audience. It's also something you're comfortable talking about, so it's going to make the whole process a lot easier.
1: Right? Yeah, like it's it's natural. I think I think people when people force themselves to talk about a specific topic or write about a specific topic, like it it doesn't come across as genuine, and like that that burns trust, or people can sniff that out right away, and it's not going to lead to you know relationships and deals down the road. Like you just. Gotta be yourself, be genuine, be authentic. Like that's what people want these days specifically in particular, right? Like since since we are, are all remote, um, totally. since we all want a little bit more connection, we want we want people to be actual relatable humans out there.
0: Totally. And and if everybody has more questions about social selling, we did a whole episode on it, which I thought was really, really awesome. Um, and, and everybody should go listen to it. Alec, before... Jonathan, you don't get to talk about social selling because you don't do it. Um, Alec, <laughs> Alec, Alec, do you uh, have any last thoughts on, on this that you want to drop
3: in? Uh, no. I mean, I, I think you said it was right about, you know, you don't want to be, you know, forcing yourself to try to be someone else or you have to write about these certain things. But there is some value in being... Forcing yourself to be like, I'm going to post on this day, you know, what I mean, like once a mm-hmm. week, have some kind of function there that does force you because you're not always going to want to want to do it or want to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of helps with accountability.
0: Totally, totally. Super, super important. Set goals for yourself on when you post. And and achieve those goals. It's it's and you'll get that sweet sweet dopamine hit. So <laughs> we're back to this. All right, <laughs> um, cool. all right. I, this this was awesome, guys. Thank you for for going into the the CSM metrics with me. I think that was super important. Everybody that's listening, if you have questions, please submit them to me uh, via LinkedIn for your this week on LinkedIn. By the way, if anybody feels the urge to submit an audio or video question, we'd love. Mm-hmm to play your audio and include your name in in the This Week on LinkedIn submission. Otherwise, you can, of course, message them to me and I will uh, adopt them and and, and sort of read them off so that we can get you an answer as quickly as possible. If you listen to the podcast and you love us, give us five stars and a good review. If you don't, I don't know why you're still listening 45 minutes (laughs) in. (laughs) and, And of course, we will see you guys next week. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys.